I'm Judy Frazier, president and founder of We The Kids. We The Kids puts God back into America's history. Listening to We The Kids radio show will inspire you and your kids to have a positive American identity, clear direction, and a powerful purpose for your life. Thank you for listening. Welcome to We The Kids Radio Show for kids from 8 to 108. I am Arch Hunter, a father, a husband, and an historian. And I'm Lydia Nuttall, a mom and executive board member for We The Kids and author of Forgotten American Stories, Celebrating America's Constitution. And later on in the show, we're going to hear from the We The Kids Liberty Players. The mission of We The Kids is to put God back into America's stories to help American kids be proud to be an American, to love and defend America's Constitution, and learn the principles of freedom that establish unprecedented freedom in our country so that they can preserve freedom in America. And that is so important. That's why we're doing this show. So we're glad you're listening. And today, our forgotten story is, Why Should Every American Know Emma Lazarus? In our earlier show, we had talked about the creator of the Statue of Liberty and a well-known and talented French sculptor named Frederick Bartoli. He set small goals to help accomplish his big goal of creating a 151-foot statue that represented liberty. He overcame a lot of challenges in creating the Statue of Liberty by using other people with their talents and skills to help him, preserving but not giving up, and using his math skills. Lydia, why should everybody know (laughs) Emma Lazarus? Well, she's connected to the Statue of Liberty in a really special way. So recently, well, in a recent election, regarding all the immigration issues in America, often was quoted a poem or part of a poem that she actually wrote. So if you remember, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, that is the poem that she wrote. And that's not the whole poem. We'll talk about more of that poem later on. But she's the one that wrote that in the early 1800s, actually later in the 1800s, And she is a really good example of an American who used her own individual unique talents, which was she was a poetist. She loved poetry and was really good at writing poetry. In fact, I didn't know this, uh, but Ralph Waldo Emerson, another famous poet that we know of, praised her. Her first book she wrote when she was 16 years old. She published a book of poetry when she's 16 years old, and he praised her skills for poetry. So she wrote this wonderful poem to help raise funds for the creation of the pedestal upon which the Statue of Liberty stands. 
So, and she was really young when she published her first book, and she was about 34 years old when she was invited to write a poem to contribute to the efforts that those that were trying to raise funds for the pedestal, the Statue of Liberty, she was invited to write a poem, and that those poems that others were asked to donate or artwork or stories or whatever, those funds were going to be used to create the pedestal. Otherwise, the Statue of Liberty, as we discussed in an earlier show, was on her way. She was already taken apart in Paris, France, where she was created, and she was already on her way. The process was started for her to come to America, and she didn't have anywhere. We didn't have a pedestal to put the Statue of Liberty on because we ran out of but that's another story that you'll need to listen to previous recording of this show. What special. is Emma's background as an immigrant and her, what's her family's story about how her family got to America? Well, she belonged to a Jewish family. They immigrated to America in the mid-1600s and she was born about 1849. Her dad owned a prosperous sugar refinery in New York, which I love because they came here to prosper, to have freedom and enjoy peace. And her story shows that her father, her family was able to use his freedom here, his liberty here in this country to progress and prosper as a result. So he was able to provide for Emma a really good education through private tutors and in the 1870s, in the late 1870s, the climate at the time throughout the world was, especially in Russia, there's a lot of anti-Semitism, which means they didn't like Jewish people, people of Jewish faith. And so they were persecuting them relentlessly. And the Jews were fleeing Russia and coming to America to escape the horror of their country's anti-Semitic persecution and pogroms. And pogroms, I believe, were places where the Jews had to be location-wise, had to live where to live in that country, Russia, and they would be persecuted. It was it was horrible. So they fled here. And so Emma Lazarus' story comes in because they were fleeing to America with hardly anything, nothing. They had nowhere to stay, no shelter, no food, uh, the clothing on their backs. They used whatever funds they had just to get here via ship because they're being persecuted. Because of their plight, you know, our country welcomed them and provided shelter for them, housing and food while they were trying to get established. And there was a Hebrew immigrant aid society that was created. And Emma became a part of that, became active in that. And how old was she when she made this difference in the story of the Statue of Liberty? So she was 34, about 34, when she was invited to write this poem. And, uh, and like I said, she was 16 when she first got started. And um, so I would say in her late 20s and 30s is when she started helping these immigrants who had nothing and then was invited to write that poem. And Liddy, you mentioned it's called a new colossus. What exactly is a new colossus compared to, I guess, an old colossus? <laughs> yeah, that was interesting because, you know, I had heard those famous stanzas from her poem before, but I'm like, okay, so why is it called a new colossus? Does that mean there was an old colossus? And so, yeah, there was in 280 BC, so this is really, really ancient. It's just about older than you are, Arch. In 280 BC, there was a Colossus of Rhodes. Now, Rhodes is a, a part of Greece or was a part of Greece. And on the island of Rhodes, they built this huge statue of 
it was actually their Greek sun god, Helios. They built this huge statue, and it was 108 feet tall. The Statue of Liberty is 151 feet tall, but but back in the day, you know, you can imagine 280 BC, they didn't have cranes and things like that. I have no idea how they got such a massive statue, but it was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And they built the Colossus of Rhodes or the, the sun god. Um, back then, they would erect huge monuments or statues more for a kind of like a statement to tell people, other countries, we, we don't want you here. You know, we want to commemorate this statue, commemorated the Rhodian success in defending their island against the siege by the Macedonians. So it was a statement. It showed everyone, hey, we, we defeated these people. And often those statues were made to hopefully scare others away, to show your power, your strength, that kind of thing. Statue of Liberty, though, was not created for that. So our Statue of Liberty was created as a symbol of liberty and of uh, cementing the bond of friendship between the French who came to our aid during the Revolutionary War and helped us defeat Great Britain so that America could be free to begin our own or create our own form of government, a constitutional republic. And so... Hopefully that answered that question. Did it? Well, it? It does. And my next question is, well, what does New Colossus or what does Emma's poem say? If you would share that with our listeners, please. Okay. So, yeah. So she was making a tribute in this poem, the New Colossus. It wasn't like the old one. This is a new one. It has a new purpose. And so it says, not like the brazen giant of Greek fame with conquering limbs astride from land to land, here at our sea-washed sunset gates shall stand a mighty woman with a torch, whose flame is the imprisoned lightning, and her name the mother of exiles. From her beacon hand glows worldwide welcome. Her mild eyes command the air-bridged harbor that twin cities frame. So something already that that poem is unique is she's making a statement we don't have this colossus that like this is a different colossus a different statue it's a mighty woman with a torch and her name is mother of exiles the purpose in essence she's saying of this statue is to welcome those exiles remember her background is helping the jews who had to flee russia and other countries because they're being persecuted and they were exiled from their country and then she's mentioning that flame, the the torch in her hand, that it's like a beacon. It glows worldwide welcome. So anyone's welcome here. And I had to look up, okay, what twin cities does she stand between? Because it says that that her mild eyes command the air-bridged harbor, that twin cities frame. So if any of you have been to the Statue of Liberty, it's in New York Harbor, and it's really close to the border that's shared between New Jersey and New York. And so to the east of the Statue of Liberty, you have New York City. So that's one city. And to the west, you have Newark, New Jersey. So she's between those two cities. And then it continues with the famous part that we've all heard. She she continues and she says, keep ancient lands, your storied pomp, 
cries she with silent lips. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. Mm-hmm. And in an earlier show, we mentioned about how America kind of had some nicknames, the golden door, the golden gate of opportunity. That's kind of what those who lived in other countries called America, because America offered them an opportunity to have peace, to live in an environment where they could pursue their freedom and pursue these opportunities to prosper and progress in their life. So, so there did, you go. There's the poem. Did did Emma uh, go on to have a tremendous amount of fame, or or what happened to Emma after she wrote this poem for the Statue of Liberty? Well. Uh, she didn't have fame at all. In fact, it's kind of sad. She died from cancer four years afterward at the age of 38. And her poem actually didn't become well known till 1903. And that's the time that a plaque was placed on the wall inside the pedestal of the Statue of Liberty. And, you know, with the new Colossus as the title. And that was inscribed on it. And it wasn't until the 1930s that Emma's poem began to win recognition as an American classic. Mm. And it's interesting because I didn't know any of this when I was in public ed. This is not something I was taught. And as a mother, out of concern for these wonderful stories of our American heritage that are rarely, if, if at all, taught to our children in school, my source for this story in the Forgotten American Stories was not through Google <laughs> Google search. I went to libraries and dug up any kind of book I found on the Statue of Liberty, on Emma Lazarus, Ellis Island. And these books are where I piece together this story. And so it's interesting that her poem is it was kind of politicized, as I was alluded to at the beginning of this show a few years back. And it seemed to me that people were jockeying for position as far as what her poem really means for us as Americans today. Mm-hmm. And I guess we can pull whatever we want and construe whatever meanings we want to anything we hear. But I loved, I just, I felt, here's a part that I loved about this story that shows to me her pure intent to really write something that would inspire others and give us a deep meaning as far as what the Statue of Liberty means to us. Because it used to be that when she did these poems, always she was meticulous. She would write and rewrite her poems over and over again until they met her satisfaction. But The New Colossus was a poem, a sonnet, that she wrote in one sitting and never felt the need to rewrite it. She never did. In fact, in the beginning, she didn't even really want to participate in this fundraiser and write a poem and donate it and auction it off to raise funds for the Statue of Liberty's pedestal. She she just didn't feel like she was even qualified or good enough. And and don't we all feel like that at times? Yeah, no, it's true. You know? <laughs> so, uh, Nettie, you mentioned that it was called, uh, you know, I lift my lamp beside the golden door and sometimes people call America the Golden Door or the Golden Gate. And you reminded me, uh, my father, who served our country in World War II, when he was shipped out from San Francisco, he always told me the last thing he saw was the Golden Gate Bridge. Oh, wow. And he was convinced that he would never see it again. 
goodness. On, on, on coming back, he said, when I saw the Golden Gate Bridge coming home from the war, I knew I was home. Oh, wow. I love that. Yes, we have the Golden Gate Bridge that's in the West, in San Francisco Bay, and then we've got the Statue of Liberty that's on the East. I love that. You kind of connected both ends of America. Both ends of America. Yeah, coming in from Asia or coming in from Europe. Probably the Statue of Liberty is our most famous monument. What do you think are the importance of monuments in America today? And what what does that say about our heritage? Oh, my goodness. Well, it helps us remember, doesn't it? I mean, it's kind of hard to avoid the Statue of Liberty when you're coming into America that way via ship, which is where so many immigrants had to come by ship to America back in the day. And she's very popular. She's become an icon, in essence, to everyone throughout the world of liberty. She's symbolic. And so statues, monuments, things like that, they symbolize something or represent or help us remember something in our history, in our past, that the creator didn't want us to forget. So we have an awful lot of monuments throughout this country, and that's kind of fun. That's been one of my what pastimes when I have vacation is to go visit those monuments, go to Gettysburg and look at those monuments, read the inscriptions on them, take a tour, learn from the tour guides what happened, why is this monument significant? Or others, if you go to Washington, D.C., there's lots of monuments there. You have the Lincoln Monument, the Thomas Jefferson Memorial. You have the Washington Monument. Well, what would happen to America if we didn't have those? It's like they, they kind of preserve stories, right? Stories of our history, of our huh. past. And I worry I, um, uh, there was, well, what would happen if we took them down? What would happen, you know, does that mean that someone's recreating history or trying to help us make us forget that part of history and why? I think it's really critical for us as Americans to know our true history. There is good and bad in every country. And the tendency that I see that is alarming is to emphasize all the bad that this country has done. Well, yeah, there's negative parts in America's history that no one's proud of. However, what we can be proud of is how, because we have preserved liberty in this country, we've had the unique ability to fix what is wrong, to make things right, to improve the status of all human beings, not just in this country, but as an example to others, improve hopefully the quality of life that all human beings throughout the world hopefully can have. For instance, we were one of the first countries to eradicate, make illegal slavery. Yeah, we had it, but every country on this planet has participated in the enslavement of human beings, and it still goes on even today. But we are one of the first countries to make it illegal. So that's what I love about monuments. They symbolize something awesome that we want to remember. From our story of our country and everything that's there in each monument. Let me give you a quote from one of our fiery founding fathers, and then please comment on it. It's from Patrick Henry. Is life so dear? or peace so sweet as it be purchased at the price of chain and slavery? Forbid it, almighty God. I know not what course others may take, but as for me, 
give me liberty or give me death. Ooh, that's pretty strong. How many of us would say that? That we want, that we love liberty so much that we would rather die than have our liberty taken away. And that's what something awesome when it talks about is life so dear or peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. The Statue of Liberty actually has broken shackles and chains lying at her feet. Mm -hmm. And it, it's symbolic for how because we were able to win our independence from Great Britain, we were no longer ruled anymore by a king who dictated to us whatever he wanted. We now are a government of we the people. And we the people dictate our future through a process of elections and who we want to be our leaders and laws that we the people create and approve or don't approve. And so that is liberty. That's what liberty is about. That's what gives us the most liberty is when we have a say. And, and you, you know, Patrick Henry, Lydia, was so concerned about liberty. You know, he did not go to the Constitutional Convention and didn't approve of the Constitution because he felt that that document would possibly limit our liberty. And so that's how much he was concerned about our liberty. Interesting story about Patrick Henry. Yeah, that is very so, good. Listeners, we invite everyone from 8 to 108. Join us again for We the Kids radio show to hear more forgotten stories. Learn the principles of freedom so that we all call whether we are 8 or 108 to preserve our freedom. And something to ponder. You know, Emma Lather has exemplified compassion by serving others of her faith who came to America fleeing persecution, and who were in need. Who can you serve today? Who may you help in time of their need and compassion? And if you want an additional challenge, choose to serve someone today who looks, acts, speaks, dresses, or believes differently than you. I think this is important. If you have stories of your relatives or ancestors coming to America, we'd love to hear them. Email them to we the kids at this email. Here it is. It's WTK at wethekids.us. And we invite you to visit the We The Kids website, wethekids.us, for additional stories, insights, and activities that you can do with your kids to help them be proud to be American and to love and defend America's constitution. You can also purchase the Forgotten American Stories at that wethekids.us website or on forgottenamericanstories.org. We thank you so much for supporting We The Kids. Now, let's see what the We The Kids Liberty Players are up to. Hey! It's time for Billy Eagle and Colonel John. Hi, Colonel. It's very nice to see you. Well, Billy Eagle, it sure is nice to see you. I have a question, Colonel. Sure, Billy. What's your question? The other day, when I was at the nest, my mother and father were talking about rights. My mother said it wasn't about flying around in circles, and that I should ask you what rights are. So what are rights? That is a good question, and for someone like your mother, flying around in circles might be one of her rights. That wouldn't be one of my rights, because I don't do that very well. Sometimes when we talk about rights, we mean privileges. For example, your parents maybe let you stay out till 8 o'clock at night, and that's a privilege they give you. That's not a right you have, and it's a privilege that they can take away if they want to. 
especially if you abuse that privilege by doing things during that time when you're not supposed to or you don't come back when you're expected to. And then there are some privileges that come from the government, privileges like driving on the highways. You probably have a law in your town that people can drive on the streets in town up to 30 miles an hour and 55 miles an hour on the highways, or it's a privilege that the government could take away. They could revoke your license to drive if you are misusing it. It's time for the Liberty Players! License and registration, please. What did I do? I clocked you traveling 100 miles per hour in a 15 mile per hour zone. Owie, Judge, you threw a book at me. Yes, I did. Now give me your driver's license. Aww. The rights that we commonly talk about as American citizens don't come from parents and don't come from government. They come from God. We decided to separate from England and become an independent country, the United States of America. As we separated, Thomas Jefferson wrote in the Declaration of Independence that we are entitled to our independence by the laws of nature and of nature's God. And he went on to say that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that is, apparent to everybody, that all men are created equal. Notice he didn't say we're evolved equal, he said we are created equal and that we are endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights. Now, there's some big words there. That means that the rights that we have are not given by government. They're given by the Creator, God. And that's why he says they are unalienable, that is, they can't be taken away. If rights come from government, government can take them away. It's time for the Liberty Players! Please, your majesty, we're very hungry. I grant you the right to make and eat a sandwich. Yeah! Woohoo! Thank you, sir. You are very generous and kind. That sandwich you made does look good. Give it to me. But, sir, you granted me the right to make and eat the sandwich. I take it back, then. What? You can't do that. Why, yes, yes, I can. I am the king. Ah. If rights come from government, government can take them away. They're not unalienable rights at all, then. They're simply negotiable privileges. The state gives it, and the state can take it away. But if our rights come from a higher source than government, they can't be taken away by government. Our founders recognize that our rights come from a higher source than government. That source, of course, is God himself. And so, when we read in the Declaration, then, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, what the framers meant by this was that government doesn't grant rights. Government merely secures or protects the rights that God has already granted. Our Declaration of Independence sets forth those rights. It says among these are the right to life. They can't take away your right to life, your right to liberty. They can't take away your freedom or your right to pursuit of happiness. That doesn't mean the right to be happy but the right to take measures to try to procure happiness, like working, saving, buying, things like this. Okay, Billy, so does that help you see what rights are? It sure does, Colonel, from a mile away. Thanks for clearing that up. From a mile away with an eagle eye. Well, any time, Billy Eagle, let's do it again. Speaking of time, I gotta fly. Bye, Colonel, and thanks. Bye, Billy Eagle.
We want to invite everyone from 8 to 108 to listen and please join us on We The Kids radio show and to hear more forgotten stories. Learn the principles of freedom that established unprecedented freedom in America so that we can all, whether we're 8 or 108, preserve our freedom. Thank you.